sir. Driven Minds Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. And we're in with another installment of the Driven Minds Podcast with yes, another sir. special guest in the building. The uh, co pardon me, the founder and CEO of Kaba Kenji, uh, brand marketing extraordinaire, Kenji Summers. Nice. Thank y'all for having me. Indeed. On this beautiful, beautiful night in New York City. Definitely, man. Definitely. It is a... It is it is tight on me. Yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> we walked here from uh we work and shit. Um yeah, man. Um first thank you for coming on the podcast, brother. Um me and Kenji got to link up to two mutual friends, Julian Mitchell, and you know, I've always heard great things about you. Um your name definitely rings bells around the marketing culture space. Um, just from doing some really, really, really dope work across marketing, across Nike basketball, um, across um, the Drew League, um, evolving your brand into into developing new brands, um, doing marketing for other brands or whatnot. And um, yeah, we're glad to have you here. And Driven Minds, what this podcast is all about, is all about people from different spaces who are tied to culture, who are able to push the culture through their mediums. And um, we really appreciate you coming aboard. So we just want to take it back from where you're from, how'd you get started in this space, um, and who were people who inspired you to really get really get funky in this space? Oh, 1,000%, man. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, specifically Bed-Stuy. Um, oh. Yeah, right? So uh, I, don't, I don't meet a lot of folks from New York still in the marketing or cultural space, at least mm-hmm. not in this generation, like we say Gen Y, right, like millennials. Mm-hmm. And so um, seeing us here and... Uh, Thriving is a beautiful thing. And really where I would say the start for me came was my dad had me, we were like in Soho somewhere for whatever reason, right? Mm. You know, I was a little kid, maybe like 10. And well, This is when like Eddie Bauer was still on. Uh... <laughs> Eddie yeah. Bauer was popping, man. Like you, you go to the outlets, come uh-huh. back with some stuff before school start. Eddie Bauer truck. Right. Cadillac yeah, edition. How did they do that? <laughs> beautiful. Matter of fact, that's actually... I think that's probably one of the first brand partnerships. Right. You know what I mean? Now that I think about it, now that I'm in the space, that was kind of dope back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think they could bring something like that back. Yo, right. Facts. We got to Like with all that. the brands, we should. Yeah, that, that could yeah, be yeah. a lit right there. Um, yeah. So my dad, and my dad is from Harlem, so he's about Pee Wee Kirkland's age, right? Mm. So he saw that whole era in Harlem. Oh, wow. Um, my right. dad went to school, CCNY, um, right? joined the fraternity i'm in the same one and uh around that time i think he became woke right before the terms had become pervasive in our culture today mm-hmm. my dad kind of avoided the vietnam war and the draft he had some friends that go they make it back mm-hmm. he um continued to pursue his higher education so i say that all to say my dad's a psychologist right mm-hmm. so when i'm back in soho as a kid <clears throat> he says to me um what do you want I was like, yo, I want this, 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 this Nike hoodie, something like that. I want with the big logo. Mm. And he's like, yo, why would you want to advertise their brand when you're paying for that brand? Mm. And in my head, I'm like, oh, because it's hot. <laughs> and but it was the first time I think I looked at marketing in that way. Mm. I was ten, right? By the time I was an adult uh, or eighteen, I had went to UMass Amherst for to study sport management because. They had a number one undergrad program in sport management at the time. Mm-hmm. since 2004. And my dad's mentor um, was killing it kind of in sport marketing at the time, at like foot action. Dope. And he said, yo, if you really want to pursue a career in sports, 
um, you can come here. And I was like, nah, I'm going to play ball. Like, I'm playing ball for UMass. That's it. Uh, by the time I got there, I was already in the program. Mm. And my dad told me before I went to campus, he was like, yo, you can either continue to try to play and be owned and controlled later, mm. or you can own and control. And so when I got to campus, I had the ground running. I had involvement in every program you can imagine within the school, um, especially in sports. Mm. Yeah, I managed a basketball team. I was one of those practice players. I knew all the athletes, like football, basketball. By the time like Vic Cruz had got there, well, I was like a camp counselor for Vic Cruz at a, my dad's old school they used to teach at William Patterson because, you wow. know, um, Vic's from uh, Patterson. Well, I got a few friends at Willie P. Yeah, right. Willie P, right. So I, I grew up on that campus, basically. My dad was teaching it all the whole time. So, like, I knew all these athletes. I was like, all right, I'm just going to be an agent. That's it. That's how I'm going to get down. But it wasn't until I interned um, at Converse headquarters in North Andover, um, I figured out a situation where I could get, like, 15 credits or something like that Word. to intern. And get paid. 15? Yeah, it was crazy. That's the finesse of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole semester. And I left with some stacks after the internship. You were only supposed to do one. But I submitted my paperwork in a way where they only saw um, <clears throat> the credits coming through. They didn't see the bread. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I ate well. So nice. we were in North Andover, a bunch of interns with us. And I was setting up a room and in the Converse office. Like At the time, the third floor was where marketing was. I was an advertising intern. Mm-hmm. And um, they had just given their business to this agency called Anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it was like a lot of ex White and Kennedy mm-hmm. guys. Uh, some Nike guys mm-hmm. that had joined, um, and then there were these two guys that I came to find out, two black dudes. I guess they were like the late twenties, maybe early thirties at the time. And I go up and set up the room, and I turn and look. I'm like, "Yo, they look like me." I'm 18, 19, 20, maybe nineteen, and my internship um, guy, like manager, um, Greg Galbraith, who just left Converse to go to Russell. He's like, yo, you need to meet these guys. Y'all all live in Brooklyn. Wow. And I was like, all right. I was literally about to leave the room. I was like, all right, I'll stay for a little bit. And they're like, all right, me such and such. It's this dude named Dan Cherry. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Cherry the third. You know, that's the name anyone hears. They thinking about Googling, you should Google him. He's now the chief marketing officer for Activision. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was the chief marketing officer for the Prudential Center before that. He was the chief. Oh, he was one of the SVPs at Diageo. Um, before that, he was the CMO of the New York Cosmos. Wow. Um, before that, he was a partner at Anomaly. Um, and before that, he was the one the guys that brought Jordan Brand into the place they were with, like doing the commercials with Common back in the day, Sheesh. and doing all the the branding work through White and Kennedy. And before that, he helped start a small brand called Am One. This guy's resume is And then on the seventh day He rested (laughs) (laughs) Nah nah On the seventh seventh day Y'all heard of Frank 151 Yeah Yeah. Franklin is his middle name He started that too Wow Time out Who's this guy's name? Dan Cherry the third We gonna talk about that (laughs) Dan Cherry the third And I wasn't even the person That that really has stayed In my life the longest He has He just moved to Cali But his dude named Stanley Lumax He's the one that When I met him like my life opened up. Like I shook his hand and he, he gave me a grip and anybody in the organization, whatever it may be, fraternities or mm-hmm. you kinda understand the grip and you're like, Oh, this different. Mm-hmm. You're not only black, you in the same organization. And I had just crossed. Mm-hmm. So 
after that, I stayed in touch. I think he took a liking to me. He's like, oh, young dude from the Northeast, from, from Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn with my family. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look out for him. I'm sorry, Shaw ended up doing a project for him, a few projects, but started out just like getting to know him. And he was just like, yo, um, I need you to do this video for me. And it's like for the Air Force One. We're trying mm-hmm. to do like in- interviews, research basically to find out why the Air Force One isn't hitting. This is like 2000. 11 why the mm. air force one isn't hitting 2011 it wasn't hitting man you're going through an anniversary year and it were cold and mm. they well, this is it this year and um palladium had did the the work with pharrell so okay. kids are now wearing palladiums Palladium in the streets mm. kind of hard they were hard yeah. <laughs> they hard they did nice branded content where they yeah. took them to asia he, he freaked it nice. you know pharrell finessed the game he ended up doing stuff with timberland like the same year so like yeah. it, he, he did a lot for them um and by the time I did this project, there's a young artist named ASAP Rocky that was emerging. And ASAP and the crew was hanging out in Prohibit all the time. Mm-hmm. Prohibit used to be on Allen Street. It was run by this dude named Chase Infinite, another OG. If you don't know that name, legend as well. Um, currently, ASAP Rocky's manager, partner in uh, AUG, I believe is how they pronounce it, A-W-G-E, but also is a legendary rapper from the West Coast. He was one of those first like five percent of rappers that come from. Wow, and he probably wouldn't love to hear that, but like I love five percent. Yeah, like I always had like, a like, wisdom, man. Like yeah, that you know wisdom. What is, What's yo, today's math trap? <laughs> right. <laughs> don't do it. Don't. Do it. Uh, you gotta calculate that yeah, yeah. before before you get charged up. Facts. Uh, but yo, but he's that right. He had a partner named DJ uh, Khalil, who DJ Khalil's worked for maybe over a decade now with Dre, Dr. Dre, mm. and so. Chase is here, and Chase is starting to work with ASAP Rocky, and he has a space prohibit where, like, everybody, the culture was coming, and he's downtown, so you had, like, Curtains, who um, was rapping his ass off back then. Um, I think he goes by, like, Dior, Dior and Jordans, or Dior Jordans on Twitter or something, or it's mm-hmm. IG, but he's at Converse now working. He started um, with the team at Noir mm-hmm. when, like, the whole black leather thing was gone. Like, they, they really freaked the game. Um, but then Chase... I went to the Prohibit. I was like, yo, I need help doing this video. I need to like get an interview with somebody that really represents what the AF1 is about. So I'm thinking Uptown. I'm not even thinking AF1. I'm thinking Uptown. I need to tap into Harlem. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, oh, I really don't have as many friends in Harlem as I would like yeah. to get the right drop. It just so happened that night, ASAP Rocky was having his listening session for his first mixtape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at Jungle. So I was on the west side, right? And we get there, Jungle Studios. And I get there with my my the dude that's helping me film, uh, Wu, and we we pull up, and I'm getting a couple of interviews here and there. Um, Rocky was managed by co-managed at the time, a dude named Gino. So Gino was looking out, Chase was looking out. Most Def is in the space with ASAP Rocky, and then it was a very interesting time because Chase and and Most are business partners on this mm. company called Haroon. So and most would always be at Prohibit. So then you had like the generation of Rocky, you had Most, you had Chase, you had this really interesting crazy, melting pot. Yeah, Most, yeah. ASAP, wow. Yeah, Lloyd Banks shows up. Like so New York was really supporting yeah, Rock in a way. Banks, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, and I so Banks. we're there and I, yeah. I go and I get the, the introduction of Rocky and I'm like, oh, it's love. And Gino's like, yo man, he's one of us, he's one of us, like New York City marketing dude. Gino was working in marketing before too. Mm-hmm. So he knew me as a strategist. And I was like, yo, can I get this um, quick clip? I'm just not a drop or anything, but I just actually needed to ask you a couple questions. So we got the video going and I was like, Rocky, yo, what's up with AF1s, man? You think those are gonna come back? And he says a flyish, he was like, yo, listen, 
I'm going to bring him back. Mm. So I'm going to bring him back. ASAP's going to bring him back. You know, right now we into the Margella and, you know, Rick Owens yeah, and Scott's yeah, yeah. and all that. I know but how Rocky do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, but I can bring him back. Mm. So let me know. Like, mm. And I got that clip. And there were some other clips I got, like Man on the Street interviews, talking to people. It was fun. But mm. it was that Rocky clip when I showed it to Stan. Stan was like, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be it. This is what we need to show that client. So, like, it was Nike Sportswear, I think it was a client. Yeah. And so, long story short, it's like months later, Rocky's on tour. Virgil, I think, does his set, um, set design. It was like uh, one of those. Virgil venues. did the set design? Virgil did a set design for, for I believe, Rocky or ASAP nice. Mom's first tour. Wow. Um, cool. And it was like a like military inspired, like camo, very heavy. Yeah, yeah. But what were they all wearing? White Air Force Ones. <laughs> so, it, for me, it was a moment where I was like, okay. That that is going to be kind of the space I'm in, where it's like mm. I'm getting a brief from an agency or working with a brand directly, but then I'm finding folks in the culture that matter that might not be on everyone's radar. Like at mm-hmm. the time, Chase, I don't think is on everybody's radar. Gino's not on everybody's radar, but I knew them dudes. And right. then for me, I was always like, how do I develop relationships with people that I already have a lot in common with, rather than trying to like be up all under the artists and trying to like be in the studio with them. Like that's not natural and normal for me to be doing with them. Right. I don't need to be doing it, but you want to talk marketing strategy. All that. I can do that all day. Right, so right. I'll do that with you. And so I developed those organic relationships. And by the time it was time with Stan Lumax, he had got to Nike. This is 10 years after I, you know, had enrolled in UMass and or got out of UMass and support management intern in Converse when they had got acquired by Nike. Mm-hmm. He brings me in for an interview for Nike basketball. And so the 10 years later, man, I was making my dad proud, I think, by like being in a position of kind of owning control to my ideas. Yeah, so it kind of crazy. takes you through Super the story, simple, man, yeah. right? Hell yeah. Um, gets you to like that OG. He's still in my life. I was just at his event called African Chop House. Which is oh, fire. You, have a bit, Actually, yeah. you gotta come through, man. It's fire. Yeah, Joloff is incredible. Play. I only learned about Joloff last year. Where? Joloff Joloff Rice. Joloff Rice. Oh my god. Yeah, she was real good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. That's so man, that's so interesting. First of all, I love the whole marketing and culture space, man. Like that shit is so fire to me. You know what I mean? Um and it's so interesting, like, you know, I don't think sometimes the culture knows or appreciates the individuals who are that conduit to like um to the actual um, uh, trendsetters, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's one thing with these brands that they have to come and talk to you. Like they need guys like you to be able to, you know, communicate with the culture and be able to tell them, okay, this this is what's hot and this mm-hmm. is what's fresh. Did it get to the point where you realize like, have you ever had that that uh, experience where you realize like, yo, I these brands don't really know. <laughs> and then they like, it, the bow went off like, this is, I can be this person in this space. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, when I was at the college, I remember doing a um, report on Steve Stout, and I, maybe Translation was the name of the company at the time. He it, was, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was working with a person named Peter Arnell. Mm-hmm. That's another name. Like Google that. Like fast facts. One like, folks yeah. want to know. Offline, I'm gonna need to run back of all these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Arnell did the rebranding for Pepsi, uh, Tropicana, like a legend in branding and and, and, and brand building. But mm-hmm. basically, that's where Stout learned. Uh, it's hard to say he learned everything, but, you know, when it came to, like, agency structure, advertising, branding, like, he kind of got his MBA there, you gotcha. know? But then he's so connected and so smart. He's like, owning, controlling is better than being, like, that person's, like, not gopher, but, like, the, the special ops person yeah. that can... Oh, make it happen. Really. Yeah. No, nah, man. Remember, he, like, how he announced the translation? It was, like, Jay-Z and Steve Stout partnering on yeah. an ad agency I remember, yeah. to tell culture the right is way. Is he still, still <clears throat> owner on 
Because I, I remember hearing that, but then it's like kind of. I haven't heard much about it either. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Well, I mean, at, at this point, it's kind of like Stout is such a figure on his own absolutely. that he probably doesn't need the um, Jay-Z co-sign. But I'm sure Jay's there whenever he needs to. You know, Stan Lumax, who I was talking about mm -hmm. with Nike now, uh, is at Translation. Wow. Working directly with Steve Stout. So it's kind of like one of those things where if Jay is involved, it's probably more in like moving things around. Like if a big new business pitch comes and they really need like that person to say, yo, nah, like you need to work with them or give them a shot in the RFP process. I'm sure that happens. Wow. That's super dope. So let's so let's move along. Um now you get your first shot at Nike basketball. What were one of some of the first projects that you worked on that, you know, kinda you were able to sharpen your skill set and whatnot? Um, yeah, the first project coming out um was with Stan and it was uh Really, I'll start with this. It was the mission was to lead a basketball renaissance. Mm. Have Nike basketball lead the basketball renaissance. So I, I, I ended up in these situations where folks are like, well, something's gone cold or something's not as hot as it once was. Uh, yeah. And, it's, and I, I have an opportunity to like be able to like find the history or the, the, the kind of the hidden gems or the, the diamonds that just have been buried, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... For Nike and basketball, I was like, yeah, it's taking a little hit. Adidas has definitely kind of made some statements on Armors, got Steph, and they were taking shots all over the place. But mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, this is Nike basketball. Like, this is such a long history. Absolutely. From, from me growing up, like, it was like one-on-one -on -one battles, like battleground, mm -hmm. like basketball tournaments. And um, going up to, like, Dykeman or going to, to different leagues in Brooklyn. Right. It's deeper for you. Yeah, it's a very street element. Like. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, we, we can, we, well, the street, what it really was is was, it was different communities and, you know, whether you were growing up in public housing or you were growing up in tenements or you were growing up in, on, on blocks that were um, like in Queens and Brooklyn more spread out. You had these communities where folks were like tapped in. And so you had a coach who was like, all right, I'm going to take all the kids from my community. I'm going to form a team. Coach from down the block, we take all the kids from a team mm -hmm. and we're going to go at it. And then it's going to be different leagues that pop up to facilitate it. Over yeah. time, there became so much money and there became a rise of AAU, AAU that kids started like going and playing in places they weren't from. Absolutely. So you a kid from Brownsville, you go on the Riverside. Mm -hmm. That's a long way. That's not your yeah. community. You don't know any of those people, right. but you're playing high level. So <clears throat> it was like Riverside Gauchos. That was the beginning of the best era and also led to the demise, I think, of the community um, teams uh, and leagues. So right, right. Nike was a part of all of that, right? So they sponsored... Riverside, Gauchos, they brought some of the best all-star teams of New York City kids together, but they had to poach from all these different small communities. Mm. Why that's important is by the time we get to me working at Nike, it was like 2015, 2014-15, Nike basketball kind of lost that touch mm. with those communities. So we um, at Nike basketball at the time, Stan Lumas really was a spearhead. I was a brand manager with him, was... Uh, lead a basketball renaissance. We're going to start that by something called Proving Grounds. We created like a summer long program, basically the type of camps that you would have got at Five Star Basketball Camp, mm -hmm. um, where you learn the fundamentals. Like Michael Jordan went to Five Star, Vince Carter, all those folks went to Five Star. We created it in Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, Pier Two, where those one, two, like three or four courts. And we had everybody. Those big courts. Yeah, we had everybody from God Sham God teaching ball handling mm -hmm. to Felipe Lopez, who's a New York City legend, Dominican mm -hmm. brother teaching one-on-one um, -on -one moves and shooting. A Anthony Glover, wow. power forward legend from St. John's University, 
Um, my homie Brian Gardner, who's like a Lower East Side legend. LES never gets love, so I just gonna show him some love. BG, um, one of the best ball handlers in New York City history. Um, mm -hmm. So we had all these folks teaching. Nikki Avery, we had Lonnie Malik, we had some of the best females that come through teaching kids from like the ages of like 10 to like 17, 18. So you had all the folks that people are into now, like Isaiah Washington and mm -hmm. Jelly Fam, right? Coming out of there. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, we Mo Bamba played um, in the in the Pier 2 because it was it was training and then there were um, runs. We had open runs. Mm. And we had open runs for not only just the people in the community, but we actually had the AAU, all the Nike AAU programs in New York from Albany City Rocks down to Long Island Lightning all come and play. So wow. you have Mo Bamba out there balling. That's the future NBA right there. Right, number six pick in the NBA draft. So for us, it was like, we're seeing all that talent in one place over the summer. We're like, oh, New York City's not down. We just need to like show what's here. Right. And so by the time we got into the summer, we built a basketball court outside of the Barclays Center. So it could be like that summer feel, outdoor feel. And we had the best teams that played at Pier 2 all summer. Um, compete outside, like at a big Nike event. We had the summer leagues play. We had the AU programs, EYPL is what Nike calls them. So Mo Bamba played in that. Um, nice. So it was one of those things where it, it really came into a situation where like being the first project, like Mo Bamba comes back full circle for me too this year um, with like the last or the latest thing I was able to do at Nike before I left. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can get into that or we can, we can save. Right. No, I so far so good, bro. It's, <laughs> it's lit. Well, um, I, I wanted to ask you um, in, in terms of like communicating, because um, com competition isn't like a color thing, right? Like it's it's either in you or maybe it isn't, mm -hmm. and that just is across like all spectrums of humanity, right? But how right. do you how do you articulate um, competition culture to somebody who grew up mm. in Kentucky? Yeah, who doesn't know about West Fourth, or uh -huh. you know what I mean? Like, how what's that? Um, how do you, how do you approach telling that story to them? Yeah, to them, I I think they feel it. Mm. You know, they may not understand the words or the visuals right away, but they feel it. Right. You know, that's the reason why, like, you know, the crew, the Jelly Fam homies are are doing what they're doing. The kids in Kentucky are like mimicking mimicking them and like trying to do the moves. And if you're from New York, like that's a finger roll. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. They call it something. They put a little jelly on it. Yeah. You might have put a little sauce to season on. Like I talk to Pee Wee Kirkland all the time. He's like, Yo, man, we created that back in my day. Like, <laughs> I can't doubt it. It's just like the Shout kids are gonna give it some. Yeah, legend two games. So they gonna put something else on it, and that's that's the beauty. And I think <clears throat> one of the things with New Yorkers, we've never been afraid to lead. So if we're like, this is cool. We gonna make you feel it's cool later right. on. You might not feel it right away, but you are gonna feel it later on. So, competition culture. I never had heard that term, but I, that's, it makes a lot of sense. I think being a basketball player and having got to travel around the country through basketball, I realized like while New York City, like we had a level of competition that was super high, and the cultural aspect of it was just unparalleled. People ball everywhere, man, mm -hmm. and people compete yeah. in everything. Same energy. Same energy, right? Mm -hmm. It's just different, takes different right. path, right? Right, right, right. Um, And so I think at the end of the day, it's like once you, that's why I like New York City too, like we talk, we talk a lot when we play, so, yeah. and some people hate it, but I'm like, once you can start taking that and you can tune it out mm -hmm. or use it for motivation, it just becomes the same way when you're in corporate, right? And you having people talk about you, like, oh, no, I don't like him, he in the streets too much, he got ink. He handed at these meetings that we need to have about meetings. He's actually <laughs> talking to people in the streets. I don't like that because I can't do it. 
And then you get to tune that out, and you're like, all right, cool. What are they really saying? Oh, I want him to include me in more things. That's what they're mm-hmm. really saying. Mm-hmm. So you start learning how to use that to your advantage or just ignore it. You know, either put your blinders on or you find ways to incorporate it into what makes you the best or makes you great. I was listening to J-Rock's song, Win, oh, on the way over here, man. Incredible. Album. And I just watched the video for the first time tonight. Well, the video came out? Yeah. That's crazy. The yeah. energy in that song is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, watch and they license the hell out of that. Oh, man. Oh, man. They be smart, too. I wanted to, um, you know, also follow that up. You said you mentioned your, your dad um, studied um, psychology. Mm-hmm. Um were there any um, lessons that you learned from him that you apply, you know, in, in terms of, you know, being in a room or tells? Like, what, what, what absolutely. were the things that you learned? That's a great question. Um, absolutely. Every time I talked to my dad, he didn't live in the house. So um, I talked to him a lot over the phone. And so it was literally like before I ever had seen a therapist, I was having therapy with my father, you know? Yo, that sounds Bless super him. enriching. <laughs> <laughs> every, every every kid that didn't have a father is listening a little salty tear. Just. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but he, he he was living in Harlem. I was living the best hour with mother, and he he would talk to me. And he was like he would do things like put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm. And I remember one time I was like, I don't want to put myself in the other person's shoes, man. He didn't even understand how I feel. Mm. And he's like, that's the thing. Like they don't. But you have the opportunity to have fluidity and put yourself in their shoes. And by putting yourself in their shoes, you can understand why what they did was not about you. Mm. That was about something they're dealing with. Mm. And throughout my time, Absolutely. like having to go through experiences where it would be like with my friends, with women, mm-hmm. or with bosses, I'm like, oh man, I hate this. Like I hate how they're making me feel. And it got to the point where I was like, oh, they're not making me feel anything. Mm. It's my nervous system. It's my mind. It's my heart that's feeling something. I need to change my relationship to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And so my dad, yes, that easy easy answer is yes. He for sure showed me about it. And like the person he had studied, because like I think with psychology, I didn't study it um, as deeply as he did. But you get different um, thinkers or philosophers or, or psychologists you can kind of like follow the paths of. So his was Albert Ellis, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. Mm. And so everything was very much like, can you rationalize what that is that you're feeling? Like, is there a rational um, basis for it? If it's irrational, then it's not a thought that you need to carry on. It's not an emotion that you need to carry with you. Mm. So it's not useful. Mm. So you can put it down. So it's almost you're finding an ability to um, ascertain whether this is going to be beneficial to you in your life. God, what is that like having to, like, you know, <laughs> sift through your own thoughts and be like, all right, this makes sense. This don't. Yeah, because you know oh, that could like lead you to some sort of psychosis at some point. Maybe right? like, man. <laughs> I, I think a lot of things like I I used to say when I was really working in like getting kids passports. It was all he's like this woman named Tracy. She said um, she wrote in her dissertation when she getting her doctor. She's like the experience of kind of putting people through these these shifts um, causes a cognitive rupture, and when you have a cognitive rupture you're ruptured and things like break apart. Um, so either things can break apart and stay broken or you can break apart and you form them into something brand new. That's beautiful. Mm. And so I think for me, um, I have fortunate foundation of a family. I'm going to my family reunion tomorrow for the Summers family. Bless up. And thank Cousin. you. Cousin. Right. <laughs> 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 we to go to cookout, man. Everybody's invited. Um, they they were always there for me, and even my dad and his his limited family were always there. So 
whenever I had those moments where I was like, man, like I'm seeing through the matrix or I see that there is a matrix, mm -hmm. it didn't get to the point where I'm like now like hardcore 10 hack conspiracy theorists. Like I was like, all right, there's things I need to be aware of. There's things that might be happening that if I do spend too much time, it will drive me insane because no one really knows the answer if it's true or not. Word. So let's just focus on the things I can ascertain, I can rationalize. And so like like my dad's <clears throat> um, source of like his uh, foundation in psychology is kind of like was the foundation for how I move forward. Like thinking like my my number one like psychologist would probably be like Franz Fanon or like uh, Carl Jung. Mm -hmm. Carl Young is the man. You dropping them names of people we gotta yeah, research yeah, after this. You gotta yeah. do your Googles. Um, we had the pleasure of being on the panel yesterday. Um, that was yesterday, right? Brooklyn yeah. Hip Hop Festival. Brooklyn Hip Hop Shout Festival. Out. Shout out to Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. DS produced a, um, a day of panels, Entrepreneurship Day, and our panel was called Trust the Process. And um, through the conversations, I can tell that like, you have a definitely a, a, a gift of identifying culture before um many brands do and mm -hmm. you also in the in the great you have also great um uh position to presenting culture to brands um and i want to ask you how do you define somebody who represents culture or represents mm -hmm. something that um, um that shifts culture right cuz mm -hmm. a lot of time they look for these individuals who who carry the sauce? Who carry mm -hmm. the you know the the the, the cultural um, capital mm -hmm. to really push their brands and whatnot? And you said mm -hmm. a, a great word yesterday. I'm gonna put it on the podcast because mm -hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, yo, you're the first person I hear it. I've, I've heard said it, um, and I want to you know put it out there that Kenji coined this phrase. If you did, because um, I'm getting tired of the word influencer, mm -hmm. and you said authenticator. Mm -hmm. I swear, I sent the deck in that way. That was a bar. <laughs> That shit was in the back. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I want to talk more about that. Like, who do you? What What are the characteristics of an individual that can shift culture? That has that you know that uh, that cultural capital to to really be leveraged by brands or work in partnership with brands. Oh, wow, man. Um, yeah, thanks for that you were inspired by that. Um, that's yeah. a term that started getting used when I was at Nike, and some people hated it. Some people loved it. Um, I think I looked underneath and was like, or what are we really getting at? It's like really authenticity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks that aren't from an authentic place or they didn't come up in a culture that they're now turning into commerce, right? They're not necessarily going to value authenticity. They're going to value numbers because mm. that's what they can identify with, right? right. That's how they, that's the um, algorithm they use to get where they're at. Mm -hmm. I haven't used that algorithm. I mean, I, I've tapped into it, like, mm. you know, Probably, we all probably got on Twitter around the same time because we were like, yo, this is different. This is going to be here for a while. Same right. with Instagram. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I know why we need to do that. But ultimately, if I wasn't doing anything worth sharing, it wouldn't have been authentic for me to be on there. Um, and so tapping into people that are that, like, for me, it's just like it's starting with your foundation. Like, you show me the people, last five people you text message, I'll tell you how you are as a cultural figure. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, if there's not one person that's in your family, if there's not one person who's really in the streets getting it, and not in, like, a illegal way, but, like, they really shifting things, there's not one person that's, like, a brand person that's, like, the spook who sat by the door. When I mm -hmm. say that, I mean, like, I that person, you know, who's yeah. plugged in that's mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm here, but I'm not 
all the way of it you know i'm yeah. in it but i'm not of it you know mm-hmm. um and then like two more that are kind of wild cards like if you're not doing that on a regular basis and saying you're the cultural you're the culture or you're the culture marketer or the mm. person it, you're probably not really honest with yourself like if it's people that you're talking to that are like getting the knowledge from someone else who's getting the knowledge from someone else you're really just getting checked and that's fine I, I totally get it man some of my best friends get checks and i respect it because they're doing it for a means of like paying a mortgage, putting a kid through college, or putting the kid through private school even before they're in college, um, or paying for like a mother's home or something like that. But mm-hmm. for me, like I realized, like fortunately, my mother moved to Best Side in the seventies, and she was able to invest in a property early. Nice. My dad has his spot, and so that wasn't my first foundation. Wasn't like money wasn't the biggest issue in my life like wasn't everywhere like i definitely could tell you the crack houses on quincy street that are now like two million dollar brownstones but with that said that wasn't my number one concern so people i know that are in my life that are around me or that in marketing are like no nah, i gotta get this bread like i'm all about these bags i totally respect it because i can understand where that person may be coming from mm-hmm. um if you live in a place of scarcity you're always thinking about like never being broke again facts <clears throat> Um. Yeah. So those people, I think you you check your phone, you check somebody's phone, see who they text, and you'll find out who um, they really may be. Um, but ultimately, like for me, identifying people throughout time was that any job I had or any opportunity I took on, I tried to find that person that was like spending time with people in art, music, fashion, um, like the cultural arts, really, mm-hmm. um, that loved it and are doing it, whether they were getting paid to do it or not. Right. And developing true relationships with them or either collaborating with them, giving them a platform to do something. Um, the first person I could say at Nike that was that for me was this kid, Sheck West. Right. Please um, tell that story. Yeah, man. Sheck West. Man, I was it was right as Stan Lumax was leaving Nike. And the thing he told me when I got there is like, you need to find your muse. And mm. a muse is a consumer um, muse or mindset. Um, this individual possesses a mindset that allows for you to understand how to best communicate and then thus market to a um, audience. And the muse he has is this young man, Isaiah Brown. Isaiah's incredible. Shout out to him. He's one of those prodigies, right? At 14, he was interning at both Mark Jacobs and Translation. By the time he was 16, he was... Um, leading his basketball team. He was the captain of his basketball team. He was working. Wait, he was a baller too? Ball player, yeah. It's crazy. And he was um, interning at Anomaly now with Stan Lumax. He was then writing decks by 17 full time. And he was graduating valedictorian and the captain of his basketball team. God. All right. Went to automotive in Brooklyn. And teen, I was, let's uh, not talk about right, that. I'm saying, man. Let's not even bring that up. Hey, <laughs> right? My high school career was not stellar. <laughs> <laughs> so he's valedictorian, captain of the basketball team, had experiences like working at Stout's agency, working with Mark Jacobs, then working with Stan Lumax, who well, obviously I told my story earlier, like that mm-hmm. was a guy that facilitated a lot of micro in marketing. And then by the time Stan gets to Nike, he's like, yo, you're perfect for understanding the basketball kid in New York. Isaiah's from Brooklyn. Okay, all those other things. And he's in the art, he's in the music, he's in the fashion. Right, Jacob. And so over time, they did these reports and did these videos showing what Isaiah and his mindset represented to Nike basketball. 
Stan was like, you need to find yours because you basically get two years with a consumer muse because they're like 16 to 18, 17 to 19. By the time they hit 20, they're really outside of the, <clears throat> the, the, um, the muse age range, right? So when I was in a position to kind of do what Stan had done, I tapped into my community. Like, you check my text messages, my receipts are there. Like, it was talking to Quasi Kezi, uh, who's stylist, short in there, came up under like, uh, Groovy Lou and those guys up Dope. in Harlem work with Diddy. Um, Lou. And he uh, also is ASAP first stylist and creative director. Now um, part of GFC, uh, God Family Culture, those guys, shouts to Saint and Steve O and Bell and them. And um, it was him and, and there were a couple other people in the room. I, sorry for not remembering the names. But while we were there, I was asking, I was like, yo, and we were about to go to a Nets game. I Fortunately, one of the perks of working at Nike Basketball was like we had like floor seats and all that. So Fire. we were literally down the street from the Brooklyn Nets. We were about to pull up. Fire. Yeah. And um, I was like, yo, I really need to find this kid, man. Like, I think I have some leads, but I, 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 don't, it, I don't have that feeling yet. You know, mm -hmm. I just see them like kind of like as one-dimensional basketball players that people are trying to push them to be everything. I'm like, I need somebody that is just that. And then Quasi's like, yo, there's this kid, Shaq, man. He, I think he's what? you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, y'all meet them tomorrow. I'll meet them tomorrow. Like, have them come to the office. Where? That's kind of unheard of. You know, like, people at Nike or any of these brands kind of like, like to keep their sh really tight yeah, yeah. to the vest. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm here, so you got to prove to me that. I was like, nah, like, if he's who he is, right. he needs to be in this building. I don't care. So it was literally like, my whole day went by. It was like 7 p.m. Him and Belchez, Shaq and Belchez pull up. And I remember, like, I can literally listen to this conversation because, like, I was like, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record it our first conversation together because I want this is a moment mm -hmm. and I could feel it and the first thing Shaq said I was like yo in my head I'm like yo this is Tupac like, dead at I'm like this is Pac man that's crazy because that's, that's a high praise. bro yeah. man like in his own way though bro he's Muslim mm -hmm. he's first generation Senegalese he grew up in Foster Projects King Tower his dad was a tailor for Dapper Dan crazy. he speaks four or five languages including Mandarin he went to a Mandarin school at one point in his life. He played basketball AU his whole life. He led the PSAL in assists per game as a sophomore. Bro, at the time I met him, he's 16. This has all happened in his life. He's going to JFK, which legendary John F. Kennedy, the Bronx. Uh, Coach Mathis won a ton of city championships, was a Nike school at one point. So I'm here and I'm like, how are you not like on like somebody's radar? But then, like, I'm, like, talking to Bell, and I had known Bell for a little bit. Belchez was, like, a designer for Laura Martin Dolly back in the day, but has his own amazing art practice. Oh, they, he's the graphic designer. Too, yeah, right? yeah. I follow him. He's yeah, dope. Yeah, Belchez is incredible, yeah. man. And just a really amazing person. Like, right. mentors and, like, he basically grew Sheck into the man he is today. And I think Sheck would say that. So then Bell was like, yo, man, he's the truth. And I was just telling him, I was like, listen, like, I don't want you to get exploited by coming here because... I don't want to live with that. So mm -hmm. I want you to basically know what the play is going to be and then figure out how to navigate the, the building. So I remember my first manager after Stan, and I introduced Sheck to him. And I don't think he understood what Sheck was, but I was like, all right, I'm going to surround you with everybody I know. So it was like Larry Osegmenta, Young Global, who's one of the top art curators in New York City. John Gray, Ghetto Gasho was around, Quasi Kezi, again, Stylist Bell. I was like, literally, I'm going to put this team around and we're going to create a play. And it's going to be authentic. And it's not going to be just some play that we're trying to do to get the bag. We're going to position him to be the best he can be. Like, imagine if um, somebody at Adidas 
uh, back in the day had met Tupac and was like, wow. yo, you're going to do all this music and fashion, all this, but I need you to be down with the squad from day one. That's how I looked at Sheck. I was like, there's going to be no opportunity for a brand or artist to have this type of ongoing relationship. Like Rocky, now Under Armour, right? Uh, yeah, with UA. Imagine UA meets him at 16, like when I met him, right? right. Um, or even just before the mix had come out and then he developed a relation, that whole go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different type of partnership. Yeah. Even though I'm not at Nike anymore, there's people that are there that I think are going to continue that yeah. partnership, um, God willing. So with Shaq, it's like now that that kid is in a position where if you haven't heard of Shaq, the song Mo Bamba you probably have heard, right? The songs about his friend Mo Bamba. They grew up together, both mm -hmm. Senegalese, both Muslim, both from Harlem, both grew up in the projects. That song's ringing out. Um, Kanye learns about Shaq, right? Chavis learned about Shaq around the same time. When I met Shaq, first thing I did after I introduced the people to Nike to Shaq was like I hit my man Sycamore, one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. Sick is Travis Scott's A and R, YG's A and R. Sick is dope. He was at Epic at the time. Now he's at Interscope. <clears throat> he was like, "Yo, who is Shaq?" I was like, "Yo, bro, he's he's pop. He's the future." I, I'm literally dropping him off in the project. Shaq at the project. I'm calling. Um, <clears throat> I'm calling sick because Shaq is like, I make music too. I was like, I don't know. I gotta hear it, man. Like, <laughs> I want to put you out there and then it's whack. And then six like, yo, who did you introduce me to? But the music was was good and mm -hmm. getting better. Mm -hmm. And he had a perspective and he had a lot of energy. Like Shaq's energy is contagious, mm -hmm. right? And so sick felt that. And then Travis got introduced through White Trash Tyler, who's videographer for for Trav and has done stuff with with Ye, also Shaq. The checks video so far, and after sick learns about him, and he's like, "All right, bet I'm gonna take him under my wing." So now he's still he's checks A and R, and they're working on his first project, Mud Boy. But Fire. it was like all of those moments for me, like that I learned that I got uncomfortable going into. Cause I was literally in a project with Shaq on a regular basis with mm -hmm. Bell. In places that you know, no one from Nike was gonna go. You right, know what I'm saying? Because right, right. I was like, I need to know where this culture comes from, like what you're representing. So like, you know, there's like little Africa in Harlem. So mm -hmm. like, Shaq's on that block, knows everybody speaking, yeah, speaking the language, right? And that's right next to King Dome. So mm -hmm. then you got like the African American, like yeah. like very inner city culture, basketball culture. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the mosque down the street. Like it was like when you think about it, it's like culture. all of it, all the culture was bubbling. Mm -hmm. It was just like a pot. Of stew and there's no one was paying attention to all those flavors going in at once. Wow. So now that you got a 19 year old like Shaq, a 19 year old like Mo Bamba, literally ascending at the same time, like the song Mo Bamba Shaq put out is about the recruitment process of a young artist. So when he's like, I got um, wow. such and such calling my line, um, he's not talking about like actual such and such. He's talking about record label execs. Mm. It's a metaphor for how he felt he was getting recruited to be on different labels. Dope. And it just so happened Obama was going through that same recruitment process for college and then for the NBA. Yeah. I wanna, uh, whew, I, love, I, I love the culture. I wanna um, um, shift gears a little bit because we got a chance to chop it up a little bit. And it was interesting what you said because I've been trying to do this, but you're on your Maybe 201st now? Yeah, man. 201 days of consecutive meditation using right. Muse Headband. Nice. And I want to, um, uh, yeah, I just want to dive into that and just talk about like meditation. What do you get, where do you, what do you get out of that? And what made you, what, what made you want to embark on that? Um, I wanted to reclaim my peace. Um, and that, first off, the, the presupposition is that peace is your nature. 
Um, mm-hmm. It is your original state. Like when you're in your mother's womb, <clears throat> you're not stressed. You're not anxious. You're not worried. You're not grieving. You're not depressed. You're not any of those things. You're at peace. You're getting what you need, right? Um, God willing, she's giving you what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're at a, a state of like homeostasis, like just to bring back like biological term. Say that one more a homeostasis, time. Homeostasis, you know, back like biology terms. Like when we were in high school, like we had to learn that, right? It's like once or twice. But it's basically it's a state of like. How you spell that, Franz? <laughs> you asking me to spell? <laughs> you must not know me, bro. I was um, out first round every spell. That <laughs> <I got. laughs> but that homeostasis, so that balance, right? That's that's peace. And so, what I realized, like, if I want to experience like immense joy or happiness, which for me is like being able to be joyful in the absence of peace, and then being able to be joyful in the absence of peace allows you to enjoy life. Because when you actually are joyful, you you're able to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So for me, peace was the foundation, mm-hmm. and so meditation was what I had learned um, through trial and error was the most direct way to experiencing peace, and as a result. Like friends of mine, we started sharing um, our meditation practices and we'd all kind of be like, man, I actually don't know when I'm meditating. Like when I'm meditating, when do I actually know I'm meditating? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like when am I actually in that state? Because it happens, but so does, you know, that feeling may come to when you're daydreaming. It's all meditative. It's like a trance. So what I what I had learned from my friend Jason Mowat, who uh, started Trap Karaoke, one of my best friends as well. He told me about Muse, which is a headband um, from a Canadian company where it's a neurofeedback device that goes over your forehead and on your ears. And then you use earbuds and through Bluetooth, it hooks up to an app. And when you're actually in the meditating uh, state, you hear birds chirping, right? So now you have an actual like sign to show when you're doing this right. Wow, that's dope. And then when you're not meditating or when your your mind is busy or um, unbalanced, <clears throat> you hear like thunderstorms or waves crashing or like loud chatter. Mm. And then you learn how to like tune those things to be um, not distracting. Mm. Yeah. And so over the last 201 days, I've been using the Muse headband. And so me, Jason Mowat, um, Sycamore, my homie Kev Story, who I'm um, shot. Shout out to Kev Story. Kev Story, Mau Mau, like amazing artist, Topaz Jones, he's managing, but you know, he's in culture all day, New York City, Brooklyn, best Stuy. Mm-hmm. And we all literally send each other messages with our results from our meditative practice That's fly. every day. And we're all young black men doing it. So for us, it's like pretty revolutionary in a way. Wow. You know, when J. Cole had the song on the album, the last album, where he's like, um, meditate, just meditate, not medicate, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of those moments where I was like, wow, like we're, we're living that, you know? Yeah. There's hopefully kids that get inspired and start doing it later, but... When someone asks Sycamore and like they're around Travis and they want to be like Travis and you want to have that energy and then his A and R is like, "Yo, we're finishing the Astroworld album, right?" And Sycamore sending me um, a report on his meditation every day, and they're oh. finishing like probably one of the most anticipated albums of 2018. That shows me that like not only is it helping with his work, but it's helping with his life. So that balance is becoming there. So he's more calm. He's more able to like handle like, you know, a Travis who's like a dynamic artist that probably has crazy demands and mm-hmm. like has him at the mm-hmm. studio at like 4 a.m. finishing mm-hmm. something, right? Mm-hmm. And then he has Sheck who's like another like dynamic artist that, you know, has his own energy, brings his own, you know, stuff to the table. He has to, he, I call sick like Phil Jackson, he has to be Zen. And so what did Phil instill in his players? Um, 
meditation. Absolutely. And so if for us, it was like one of those things, it's like, it's that cheat code that no one tells you about. Mm. They always dress it up as like, oh, that's, that, that's for women or that's for, for white people or that's for like yogis or that's for everybody but us. But when we start tapping into it, we're already naturally like plugged in and like connected to culture and the energy that drives culture. Now that we have ability to be still, we have ability to kind of manipulate situations in our favor because we're not drawn emotionally to things mm -hmm. that aren't beneficial to us. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you had, you have that, you know, piece, piece is important to you, like on your website. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's like, like what? Free piece. <laughs> ah, free in, piece. In terms of, you know, that being, because um, Trav is a, one of Trav's favorite um, terms is use your tools, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, <laughs> my brother. So, <laughs> but um, like, you know, in, in terms of like having that out there as like your your calling card, you mm -hmm. know, how, how has that improved the quality of your business dealings? So far, so good, man. Like, I think people trust me because they're mm -hmm. not like, oh, he's not about to go get drunk in the club right. and, and not make this meeting. Like, I, I don't drink either. It's been six and a half years. And, um, when I meditate, it's it's not just that I kind of show up. It's just to be able to be ready for situations when they come. Like if Pee Wee Kirkland calls me at 8 a.m. in the morning, I got to be ready to have a two-hour conversation. Mm. And if I'm like not hungover, but if I'm just waking up groggy and like my mind scattered and mm. I haven't meditated, I can't handle that conversation. Because Pee Wee call you, he's talking about like powerful things. He's talking about like, yo, he has a film coming out about his life. Mm. Um the producers of Book of Eli and um, a few other blockbusters are doing it. And wow. so when I'm talking to them, I'm talking about, yo, how do we get the Pee Wee Kirkland brand um, where it needs to be, right? Like I love what Dapper Dan has done mm -hmm. and Jelani, his son, has, has done Shout for that Jelani. brand, right? But I'm like, Pee Wee Kirkland's another legend that I don't want to see go through that period of like, Folks take for granted what he meant to the culture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Know? And so I have to be ready for those conversations. When Sheck FaceTimes me from Hawaii or wherever he is right now, and he's like, yo, man, I need to get to this bag, man. We need to, I want to build a mosque in Senegal. I got to be ready to be like, all right, here are the steps. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because I can get excited with him, but then I got to come back to earth. And the best way for me to come back to earth is never really to lose my connection to him. Oh, yeah. mm. uh, so meditation kind of keeps me tethered in a way where it's like, you got a hot air balloon, <clears throat> but you also kind of got, like a team of people or, or just like kind of an energy keeping you like in between right. like heaven and earth, like in this balance. That's kind of my like metaphysical way of describing like what it's like to be a meditator. I kind of I feel like I really uh, understand that. I kind of segue. Pee Wee Kirk is so ill. Like it's, people need to definitely know. I remember, I still remember when you called me years ago when you met Pee Wee and shit like uh, that. I right? met, yeah, I met when I was there. That, I don't know. I think I told you about that. I met when I was in high school. Oh, you wow. told me about he it. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in East New York. You know, so I'm not gonna say what he was doing, but you know, <laughs> the homie. But uh, he definitely got out the 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 navigator and gave the boy a a dat and an autograph. So peace out to Pee Wee Kirkland. Man. Segway to um, free peace. You mm -hmm. know, um, I, I started seeing this on the gram, and then um, obviously my brother Julian Mitchell rocked it, and then, and I didn't realize it was the whole connection to it until like I think I seen the pictures like the Jamel Hill talk that you came through, mm -hmm. and um, you know we got a chance to chop it up and talk about what it means and whatnot, and mm -hmm. um, this is fire, bro. You know what I mean? I want you to Thank talk you. a little bit more about like what's the brand free peace and what he, what's mm -hmm. the message you're trying to give the world with this? Yeah, the, the statement is um, that for most people, peace is incarcerated in your soul. 
and that the only way to get it out is to um, access your inner peace, right? Mm-hmm. So when you access your inner peace, then the peace outside starts to develop. So now you start seeing peace in your friends, peace in your community. And that's when like the, the concept, which is so grand and it's lovely, but it's kind of un- unattainable right now, it, world peace starts to come. But it really starts with yourself and that it's it's free to access. That piece is free to access. You don't got to pay uh, a promoter. You don't got to, you know, you know, it's not bought on Amazon. Like you can't do that. You can only do it through your own work, but it costs you nothing and it's worth everything. Mm. And then the last part of free piece um, was that I was looking at like the free meat movement, right? Mm. But then I was drawn back to what my father Alvin Lewis would say to me about like Mumia Abu Jamal, right? And you have like political prisoners like Huey Newton. And it was like free these people. And realistically, you do want to do that. But if you're not free in your own um, mental, emotional, spiritual, um, essentially building, like how can you free anybody else from anyone else's building? You know Mm. what I'm saying? At the end of the day, they're always going to be incarcerated. So... That I the idea of free peace when Rob Lewis, who's my um, partner on uh, Calvin Kenji as like creative director designer, he's over at Camp Grizzly in, in Portland. He came with a bunch of like terms together because I gave him a brief. I was just basically like, the brief is like peace is your nature. That's where we're starting, right? I want to be able to communicate this out um, in an effective way. And he came back with these just different lines. And I was going through like, it was like 50 of them, right? And I was like, he had that on his shirt. And I was like, no, that's it. Mm. That's it. And like, and we had a color library for for the Kava Kenji brand already, so that we picked colors that would be kind of like very soothing or like you know speak to kind of what we saw as peace. And then what we're gonna follow up with with free peace is we're gonna introduce the the new peace sign, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fly. It's gonna be imperfect peace. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have you know the peace sign as you understand. It's like a circle, and then like these three lines, right? that kind of come down and they're like very symmetrical mm-hmm. for us we've off kiltered it so these lines are going to represent my own personal growth right like that's gonna be the smallest line and then the second um like the the midline is going to be uh the growth of our community right so like oh. how are we instilling peace in the community that we're mm. in and then the th- longest line is going to be culture like how are we bringing peace into the culture right so if i was looking at like <clears throat> what my work is like being a part of your panel right during entrepreneur day and then even going and being at the second one or not the second one but being in the one later in the day in williamsburg mm-hmm. where mitch uh, was speaking with john seymour and he's wearing free t-shirt for me that culture got a little bit more peaceful mm. and then me going through 200 days yesterday during like the day of your event which is like amazing uh it's like a synchronicity like that was another line growing up a little bit peace and then the community, like there's some kids from Brooklyn that came up to me like, yo, man, you understand how it means for you to be from Brooklyn doing what you're doing. And then I met some folks that had a nonprofit, a community program in Crown Heights that's all about peace through like kind of putting out a gun and like and a gun violence. So now I'm like, they're asking me to come be a coach for a three on three tournament later oh. in the summer. Peace in the community. So for me, the peace sign is literally going to shift and we're going to even it out over time. Right. So it's going to be come back to what it was supposed to be, perfect peace. But we're only going to be able to get there if we all do the work. So I'm going to introduce that symbol as part of like our brand. And so literally like the symbol that you see um, this month, all right, in, or in 2018 will be different than the symbol you see um, in this month of 2019 mm-hmm. if we're doing the work. 
I like that. It's progressive. Inspired, man. Definitely. Um, just real quick, can you tell us about Kava Kenji? Yeah, so Kava Kenji's alcohol-free um, alternative. Um, what that means is uh, for those that want to take a break from alcohol or they don't want to drink anymore or they don't choose to drink, um, it's a substance or a beverage, uh, being kava, right, that has been consumed for hundreds, thousands of years now in the South Pacific. So where I'm speaking about it, Vanuatu, which you're really from for. From um, in 2012 was named the happiest place on earth uh, according to the happiness index and that's wow. when I learned about Kava and I was backpacking through um, Europe at the time and I met some Australians and they were like yeah you should know about Kava yeah yeah and uh, so backpacking really opened me up and when I learned about it I was already looking for alternative alcohols I was going out with homies from I was staying in hostels right and I go out I'm like yo, I'm spending like 50 pounds a night man like I was in London getting like drinks and I'm not even really it's not really doing hey, anything they don't pre-game in Europe baby <laughs> not, you can't really drink at the hostels um, uh. so we had to go out um, so we had these places and we're meeting people and like at the time I'm like 23, 24 so I'm like I wanted to meet women from different countries I wanted that full experience of course and it's like yo you're from New York you really don't need much else than I'm from New York Word. so I was like I don't I don't it's selfish and it was like very juvenile but it was kind of like maybe I don't need alcohol and so when I got back there were some other things I was dealing with. I was dealing with like extreme amounts of anxiety, which is kind of what brought me to meditation in the first place and seeking mm-hmm. peace. And uh, growing up in New York, living in New York, you can imagine that anxiety it's, it's around you all the time. Absolutely. And um, Kava was one of those things when I finally got back home from backpacking, I tried it. And I remember I, I had Kava the first time in like a capsule format. And I got on my bicycle in bed and it was like a balmy day like tonight. And I just rode my bike in such bliss. <laughs> but I wasn't high. Like, it wasn't like right. I had, like, some mood enhancer. Yeah, I was just like, I felt more myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And That's I felt true. more myself. And then over time, I, I started to make my own kava. Like, I, I was that guy having parties at, at my spot in Bedford Ave, like, notoriously, like, doing four local parties before I stopped drinking, right? <laughs> so, like, Eddie, Eddie Wong of um, Wong's World and Fresh Off the Boat, like, he'd show up at my parties, right? right. It was like, it went down like that to the point where I was doing my last one. I literally was like, yo, y'all can do whatever y'all want. I bought all the cans. You have a freaking blast. But I'm going to be making kava in the sink and doing it this way. And then it was my, my brother Julius who was like, yo, man, I'm going to call you Kava Kenji from now on. <laughs> and from there, that's when I started thinking, like, all right, cool. Like down the line, I want to see if this can actually be a thing. And yeah. I went and worked in Utah for a year, this company Summit Series, and uh, was making kava in the ashram at one of their homes, right? Kava, Summit Series, if, if folks aren't familiar, it's kind of like Burning Man meets Ted, um, but they have a, like a, their own land um, in Utah, Powder Mountain. Y'all should definitely go. They have the next one in Los Angeles. If you really do want to go, please let me know. Uh, I'll, I'll make it happen. And um, that's definitely driven, driven since I should be there for sure. Nice. And um, yeah, I was making an ashram. People were coming in, and it was very peaceful. It was like ashram, kava. Like, I think what people have described me as recently is, is a calm person. So they got a lot so, of that too. Kept saying that on the panel yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so calm. And... Thank you, man. That, that's honestly like my my greatest compliment because I've worked so hard to do and be that. Mm. And so when I hear it from other people, it just my mom was in the audience on that day. So I think, and so was my aunt. Nice. And so I think them growing up in a house with me and seeing me be like that only child and be like that selfish tendencies and like that right. me, 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 and now be a person that's kind of like trying to like, like somebody I know, but that's not get to others. 
that's all around. <laughs> so good, you know what I'm saying? We, yeah. we, we hit with it. Right, right. <laughs> um, but that's super dope, man. Um, and yeah, we we definitely want to. Um, when you when that's out, we definitely want to bring you back and like even you know just work some stuff. So like definitely, yeah. I want to have I want to have pop ups, man. I want to have events. We're gonna talk you know what I'm about that. Like where you know again, folks. Folks love alcohol. I get it. I'm not trying to keep anybody from drinking. They can do right. whatever you want. Um, but if you want an alternative and like you want to learn about like what a more peaceful um, experience could be like, uh, I want to introduce Kava to folks. Fly. And there's three Kava bars in New York. I'm a part of the communities of all of them. They're all different in their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as I develop having my own product, um, but then also having experiences. Like I had a pop up last summer where like Kitty Cash came, Sycamore, Netic, um, Julia Mitchell, Jason Mowat, like everyone came, it was like such a chill vibe, nice. but everyone got to really connect, you know, it wasn't like the music was right, the vibe was right, it was a beautiful space in Bed-Stuy, I had a pond in the backyard, like Fire. glass um, patio, and like everything was inspired in the Kaaba, it was like served out of like nice. Japanese China, so you're like, it's a ceremony experience, so like you have it, and you all drink at the same time after you say this word bula or this bula. word malo, which means life or peace. I'm about that life. Fine. You know I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, you are on Driven Minds, Driven Society, and we ask all our guests this question before we wrap is um, you know, what drives you? What um what keeps you going? What's that uh what's that that internal uh, uh spark that just keeps you waking up in the morning and pursuing your dreams, pursuing your, you know, your God's vision? What drives you? That which drives me when I wake up is being able to share the peace that I've been able to feel Mm. uh, with those that don't feel like they can. Profound. (laughs) I fuck with this guy. You you are my new uh, sensei, <laughs> and uh, I'll be coming by the dojo very short. On top of that, this guy is a taekwondo for the last what six years. I just I just reconnected with my sensei. Um, I was I was a red belt double black tip when I stopped training, but I connected with Sensei Steve, so it might be a problem soon. We'll get that black. That's you can pull up on Kenji if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't try to take my piece, man. Please. I want to be right, right where I need to be. Light, I like you might lose your life. <laughs> Word, nice. man. But Kenji, um, it's been an awesome pleasure speaking to you indeed. once more. And, um, you know, uh, good luck in everything that you're doing. Bless Tell us to f- where to find you on the social. Absolutely. Um, for my personal, um, it'll be Kenji Summers on everything. Um, K-E-N-J-I-S-U-M-M-E-R-S uh, Instagram, Twitter the, the new website is up which you, can, you can learn a little bit more about me LinkedIn, same thing And then uh, for the brand, Kava Kenji Where you can find like free peace in the shirts Right now it's just friends and family I got my, Like it's really like I'm limited tomorrow. <clears throat> I appreciate it, thank you Thank you man, that'd be That's important I'll be in my family reunion so I won't be able to be there But so um, I love, I'm glad a free peace will travel when I'm not and uh, Kava Kenji is where everyone else can find information on Kava Kenji Free Peace. If they're looking for alcohol alternatives uh, or want to know what it's like to not drink and still be in the culture, mm-hmm. because that's the thing that I think a lot of people are afraid of is like they stop drinking um, or they go sober, that they won't be cool anymore. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Or they mm. won't be able to be culturally relevant. And I think hopefully my life has been an example of not letting that stop me mm-hmm. and honestly elevating me to the point where now folks are so intrigued that like you know <clears throat> if i'm around a, a rapper or a artist or a 
whoever somebody looks up to, they're going to be like, yo, why don't you drink? Yo, can you tell me about I've been thinking about Because everybody's been thinking about it. Everybody's had a hard night mm. or hard day after they woke up from a long night thinking like, damn, man, maybe there's something else. Mm-hmm. So whether it be not drinking, whether it be meditating, whether it be kind of like these peaceful practices, like I'm into sensory deprivation tanks, I'm into um, salt caves, I'm into all that stuff if it works. Right. And I'm I'm so interested in like sharing all of these techniques or resources with people, especially from our community, mm-hmm. like the driven society. Like y'all, what y'all are doing after Mitch introduced it to me, I was like, this is this is something that I wanted to see when I was getting into my professional career, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't around. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now that it is, it's like everyone should be into it or be a part of it because it's gonna level them up, make them better. Appreciate that, brother. Appreciate that, my brother. Indeed, yes, sir. Definitely. Claps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we always say this song, stay driven. <laughs>